Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. We've got a fantastic show for you today, at least in my opinion, and I'm the person that made the show. So let's, uh, let's talk about UFC 249 with some great guests today. We've got Tony Ferguson headlining the event, and he will join us on the TSN MMA Show. Cowboy Cerrone will be in the headliner of the prelims, which you can watch on TSN. be facing Anthony Pettis' first fight since that disappointing loss to Conor McGregor back in January which he has admitted uh, he just wasn't able to show up for. He, mentally, he was not able to click in. It's great to hear that honesty from him, and I will ask him about that when we speak later on in the show. Also joined by the karate hottie, Michelle Watterson, who will be taking on Carla Esparza. I believe that's also on the prelims on TSN, so uh, make sure you check that out. That should be a fun one. Uh, always enjoy speaking with the karate hottie, Michelle Watterson. And uh, I'm also joined by Gerald Mearshart, who uh, him and I have uh, forged a bit of a relationship. We are... Um, breaking down albums on a weekly basis on Twitter. But uh, we decided to change it up a little bit and, you know, talk about the UFC. Why not? He competes in the UFC, and he helped me uh, preview UFC 249. He actually trained with Anthony Showtime Pettis leading up to this particular event and uh, has a fight coming up in June. So uh, he didn't reveal it to me during the interview, but uh, according to reports, he will be facing an individual by the name of Ian Heinisch. In June, and uh, Ian Heinisch, a great competitor in the middleweight division as well. So Gerald Mearshart joins me to talk about uh, UFC 249. Let's let's start out with that. You know, if you want to hear about UFC 249, some previews, some interesting um, notes from this particular event, uh, Gerald Mearshart is a uh, a person who has a lot of insight on the sport as uh, as somebody who competes in it, but also somebody who's very well spoken, uh, very intelligent, and uh, has a good grasp for what's going on in the UFC. But before we get to Gerald, let's talk a little bit about the event itself. Uh, we have some news from uh, on the ground that there are going to be 1,200-plus COVID-19 tests administered over the course of these eight days that the UFC are holding events. Well, I guess there's also the days leading up to the Saturday's event. But basically, the entire time they're in Jacksonville, they will have 1,200-plus COVID-19 tests to administer to athletes, media, staff members, anybody who's involved in the event. Uh, they have uh, antigen tests as well as those swab tests, those uh, very brutal-looking swab tests. I don't know if you've seen Carla Sparza and Tony Ferguson post their swab tests. John Morgan posted his. Helen Yee, a fellow media member, she posted hers. They they look incredibly painful and annoying, and I'm, I'm glad I'm not getting them right now. I'm, I'll just be honest. I'm glad I'm not at this event because I don't want those swab tests. They look dreadful. I don't want that in my life. So... Uh, it's interesting to see them get those tests, but uh, the, those tests obviously are necessary for maintaining a safe event, and that's what they're looking to do. So UFC 249 will uh, go on this Saturday. That's tomorrow night. Headlined by Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. Uh, very, very entertaining main event. I keep saying in the interviews I've done this week that if you ask me to take two fighters in any one division in the UFC and make the most entertaining fight possible, it would be these two individuals. This is a slam dunk in terms of promotional... Uh, work for Dana White. You know, basically, you can go on and just say, "Hey, I guarantee entertainment," and you you almost certainly will not be wrong, and you will not let down your viewers. So, very very interesting main event with those two competing. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very excited for it, and I'm very excited for the co-main event, the return of Dominic Cruz, who looks to regain the bantamweight title for a second time. Dominic Cruz is one of the most uh, entertaining fighters to watch in terms of uh, technical striking, in terms of footwork and ability and fight IQ. Very few as good as Dominic Cruz. And Henry Zahudo, no slouch himself. He's the champion for a reason. Two-division champion, has uh, relinquished the flyweight title, but is now the bantamweight title. Looked great on the scale this morning 
Uh, but facing off against Dominic Cruz, you can see the massive size difference. I mean, Dominic Cruz is probably about five eight, five nine, whereas Dominic Cruz, or sorry, Henry Cejudo rather is about five three. So a pretty uh, marked size advantage. And in order for Henry Cejudo to catch Dominic Cruz, he's going to have to catch Dominic Cruz. Literally, he's going to have to run after him. He's going to have to try to get inside. And uh, it's easier said than done. Now, Cejudo does have that flyweight speed. He will have a, a bit of a speed advantage, I'd imagine. But in terms of footwork, in terms of elusiveness, few as good as Dominic Cruz in MMA's history. So that's uh, an interesting one to watch as well. And, uh, I mean, so far there haven't been any hiccups. You've had one fighter miss weight. It was Jeremy Stevens. The... Uh, Missing weight at 150 and a half pounds rather than 145, so uh, that's the uh, the lone outlier in terms of athletes missing weight for this particular card. And I'm actually surprised it's only one. I, I kudos to all of these athletes. These are fine-tuned athletes with great discipline and great commitment. Because I would have been, sh- I would not have been shocked if four or five fighters missed weight for this card. This is uh, different circumstances than they're used to. They're checking in later in the week than they're used to. They don't have as many facilities. Uh, they don't have as much leeway. They don't have as much training uh, space. This is just a situation where if they missed weight, you can't hold it against them. And Jeremy Stevens is the only one who missed weight, and I am not holding it against them. I mean, he missed by a good margin, four and a half pounds. But given what everybody is going through right now, I am absolutely floored by the fact that this many people made weight, to be perfectly honest with you. So without further ado, let's get to Gerald Mearshart, who uh, joins me quite often on Twitter, but this time he joins me on the TSN MMA show to talk about UFC 249. Right, it's a familiar face, uh, joining me but we're not going to be talking about music this time Gerald we're going to be talking about uh we're going to be talking brass tacks or brass knuckles we'll be talking about UFC 249 this is a uh, one heck of a card from top to bottom it's uh it's pretty incredible to see such a, a nice lineup after all of this time off and the hard part of Dana White's job is done because promoting Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson is basically like putting a ball on a tee yeah no I mean you couldn't ask for two better guys to promote a main event around because they're both nuts, okay, if we're being honest about it. Gaethje, uh, he is what every fighter says they are. He actually just does go out there and fight and swing, and, you know, he tries to knock you out at every turn. So he's he's a guy that's going to go out there and put on a show. I have never seen Justin Gaethje fight and it be boring. And I've also never seen Ferguson fight and it be boring. And he might have a little more of a calculated approach, but... You know, again, it's going to be fireworks. There's definitely going to be blood because I've never seen Ferguson like not bust somebody open, you know, in the recent past. And someone's most likely going to sleep because if Gaethje doesn't drop uh, Ferguson, he's most likely going to end up in some weird anaconda because he ducks in so much. So I, I can't wait to see how this one plays out. You know, it's funny because. I'm looking at Gaethje's, I guess, the two sides of Justin Gaethje we've seen since he's come into the UFC. So you've got the Justin Gaethje that basically throws caution to the wind, walks forward, takes one to give, to give one. And then you've seen the last three fights, he's been a lot more methodical. He's been picking his shots. He's been throwing that really, that unorthodox, um, it's almost like a, a straight, but it goes downwards. And he used that to stop both Barboza and Cowboy Cerrone. Um, so in either of these scenarios, I think if he's going against Ferguson and he goes kind of balls to the wall, I think that he might actually have a better chance than if he tries to be methodical against Tony Ferguson. Because when you're methodical against Tony Ferguson, he basically baits you into a brawl anyways. And we know that Justin Gaethje is going to take that bait. Right. And I think that has something to do with how opponents are reacting to Gaethje. Where before, he wasn't as well known. And, you know, even I think his first UFC fight, he had Michael Johnson. So if, like, you get somebody that 
you're not that high up, and especially you get a guy like that who's going to come out and fight you, you know, you don't really have a choice but to throw caution to a win. So another good example is uh, him and um, Eddie Alvarez. You know, they just stood there and swung. But lately, he's been fighting guys that are moving a lot. Like when he fought Barboza, Barboza moves a lot, and it doesn't necessitate him throwing a lot of punches because they're not there and they're not throwing back at you. You know, why are you going to waste your energy? And he just waited to time that one nice shot. Now, since everybody is kind of backing off from Gaethje and trying to draw him into a technical striking match, uh, I think it's just kind of out of necessity. He's been waiting for the right time and... Like I said, that weird little, it's not quite an overhand, it's not quite a straight. He knows how to find the button on that one. And really, I think the biggest thing he'll have to watch for is um, Ferguson coming with the elbows and knees because he does duck down so much. Uh, however, Ferguson gets hurt in almost every fight he has, and he does have a tendency to stay in front of his opponents, even though he's so long, and hit and get very upright, which is going to play right into that overhand right. So it's can Ferguson establish distance, hit knees and elbows, or possibly make him duck at the wrong time and lock up a Darsh or Anaconda, or is Gaethje going to be you know, slick enough to get inside and take the little pot shots and then land that big overhand? I noticed today that Ferguson has only been an underdog in one of his career fights in the UFC. Do you, do you have any idea against, against who? An underdog in one fight. Probably wasn't recent. So yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't tell you to be honest. Was RDA? So RDA is the only time he's been uh, he was a very small underdog in that fight, but he's been favored in every fight that he's been in, which is pretty remarkable because when you get to the UFC, uh, you know, especially off the Ultimate Fighter, you do ca- carry a little bit of hype, but that's basically carried him throughout his entire career. Yeah. No, I. Uh, that is very surprising to me because I've been a favorite, I think, once, maybe. And even then, it probably wasn't a favorite for very long. So that's pretty impressive. And yet you have a winning record in the UFC, my friend. Yeah, yeah that's correct. So we've got the co-main event, Henry Cejudo against uh, Dominic Cruz. Now, Dominic Cruz is actually a sizable underdog. And uh, he, he's actually only been an underdog once in his UFC career. He was also an underdog against Brian Bowles in the WEC but uh, he's not used to being on uh, in the challenger role from that perspective. In fact, the only other time he was an underdog was against Dillashaw, which was a very similar situation coming off a layoff in a championship fight. He came through in that fight and won that fight. And I actually think that he has a better chance of winning this fight than the uh, oddsmakers give him, which is around 2-1. to one. Would you agree? Oh, yes. I think Cejudo has a real good chance. I mean, it's going to be... Sorry, I'm talking Cruz. Cruz. Oh, Cruz. Oh, yeah. No, I think... Honestly, I think this fight's pretty even because in my mind, so Cruz does very, very well with guys that he's taller than. Okay, I've noticed that throughout his whole career. And, you know, even Dillashaw is not that much shorter, but he just moves so much. And Dillashaw fights very short because he gets pretty low in that stance, even though he tries to move around. So it kind of plays into Cruz's game plan. And now Henry, Henry definitely is shorter. And that's going to allow Cruz to cover a lot of distance in and out and hit those angles he likes. However, Henry is very, very fast and explosive. Okay. And he's not afraid to jump in with those punches and kind of get in the mix and, you know, throw some heat because a lot of, you know, quote unquote wrestlers, they can still be iffy. They're not, they're still, even at the higher level, they're not always that comfortable uh, with their striking. You know, if you look at, uh, I guess, for example, right now that I can think of, like, even Chris Weidman is more of a grappler. And he's got really good striking. But he's not darting in and out almost like karate style the way that 
Cejudo can. And Cejudo is very explosive athlete to begin with. So I think, you know, even if he doesn't work for takedowns, he'll at least close the gap enough to make Cruz really work. And I think if he can get inside Cruz early, that'll disrupt his movement enough. But, you know, that's the catch-22. If uh, Garbrandt did very good catching Cruz on the outside because he's about the same length and he just stayed super technical and timed the movement well, but Henry's going to have to go in. So if he doesn't catch Cruz off the bat and Cruz starts getting on his uh, moving back and forth, it's going to be a long, long night for Mr. Triple C. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how this one plays out because I think if we see the Cruz of old and he's got the footwork down, he's going to give problems to, to Henry Cejudo. I think the Garbrandt matchup was interesting because I went back and watched it, and Garbrandt just seemed to have his number that night. But yeah. we still saw the very elusive Dominic Cruz early in that fight. You know, Garbrandt was throwing shots, and, and he couldn't hit Cruz. But it was also the same with Cruz. Cruz was throwing shots at Garbrandt, and Garbrandt was able to elude those shots. And Garbrandt, as we've seen since then, has had problems with power punchers. Now, Cruz isn't one of those guys. So we're going to see uh, another situation where Cruz could pick Cejudo apart. I mean, Cejudo has relied on his power in the last three fights. Uh, so we're going to see exactly what Dominic Cruz shows up. But I think if, if the best Dominic Cruz shows up, then he's got a good shot of winning this fight. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And there again with the, the Garbrandt fight, they were both missing early. But again, that's because they're closer to the same height. And Dominic, even though he moves so much and there is some in and out, he generally fights at distance. He's moving in just enough to land those punches. And even those punches are coming from pretty far away in odd angles because he's leaning at the hip a little bit. And he's just so good at repositioning his feet. He, you know, Most people don't bend at the hips like that to punch, but he can get away with it because his footwork's so good. And he's usually taller. But with Garbrandt, they're both missing, but they're both at the end of their reach. And their end of their reach is about equal. So then you know, Dominic generally circles more. Garbrandt, and again, you know, it's the night of the fight, not the fighter usually, but, you know, a straight line is faster than a circle. Dominic almost always throws circles, right? So if you're throwing a straight line and you can get the angle, you know, you get the angle before they jump in, you're going to win. But again, Henry has to come forward, and I don't know that he can catch Dominic, especially the way he leans into those punches, because even if Henry shoots in, Dominic's hips are going to be out of there. So there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot more wrestling scrambles unless, you know, Henry comes out, goes nuts and just happens to catch him early like he did with TJ. But I don't really see that happening. Now I've got some more trivia for you. Um, the la- since the last time Dominic Cruz has fought, Donald Cerrone will have fought how many times when Cruz enters the octagon on uh, Saturday? How many times will Cowboy have fought when Cruz enters? Uh, let's go with eight times. Twelve times. Ah! Since the last Dominic Cruz fight has Cowboy Cerrone. Well, as long as Cowboy makes the walk against Pettis, that's how many times he will have fought. Okay. Wow. That's... That guy stays busy. That's why the UFC loves him. He always goes out there and he wins enough in exciting fashion to, you know, everybody loves him. Yeah, you like the short notice fights too. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind them. I... You know, I try to be ready at all times. Uh, you know, I actually might have something coming up uh, that's not too, too far away. It's not super close either, but, you know, hopefully we'll hear about that soon. And, um, you know, that's the thing. I have a, Every fighter has a finite time they can fight, right? So I don't really like doing camps. You should just be training all the time, and then you can adjust the intensity accordingly. Well, let's go to the middleweight division. you got Jacques Array against Uriah Hall on this one. This is an interesting one uh, because we haven't seen the best Jacare lately, but we do know that 
if the best Jacare is in there, he should have no problem with Uriah Hall. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, so this is an interesting matchup because what I think of is, uh, was Weidman Jacare's last match? Uh, no, it was Jan Bojovic. Okay, yeah, and I don't remember that one. That was at but, 205. Uh, oh, that's right, Blackwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a very so, terribly boring fight. Yeah, and obviously not, you know, not the, the best Weidman there either. But, uh, you know, if you look at these two guys, for Hall, if he's on his bike, or his bicycle, so to speak, and pumping that jab and keeping distance, he could present a lot of problems. But if you look at the Paulo Paul Costa fight, obviously Jacare's, you know, not physically as big, and he throws heat every, you know, pretty much throws bombs to like either get you to come in to take him down, or maybe he'll catch you. But he still throws really hard, and I would think that Uriah Hall would want to stay back and just kind of point fight him at first until he sees an opening. But even in that fight with Costa, when that was clearly his only path to victory, and it was working. He still couldn't maintain it for, I think, more was like a round and a half, two rounds maybe. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if he got tired or, you know, if uh, he just couldn't deal with Paulo walking him down like that. But then then it was like done. And then for Jacare, you know, he's getting older. He's getting up there. Uh, he can't be having a striking battle with Uriah Hall. So he's got to get his way in, let those hands go, throw some big bombs and like get him to the max. If he gets him to the mat, it should be a wrap. But again, he's got to get past that long jab and footwork. And this is also the Safe Saud era of Uriah Hall, who I imagine will be much improved because Safe has been able to do so much uh, good work with uh, the different fighters. He actually got Ryan Spann on the card as well against the pride of Manitowoc County, Sam Alvey. Not, not, not Stephen Avery, but uh, Sam Alvey. Man, yeah, my guy Sam. Yeah, he's got, the, he's got a good fight on his hands too. And like I said, uh, Uriah being with um, the new team now, I hope they don't try and change his game too much because that can happen sometimes where like fighters will go a place and you know they want to completely change their entire game. It's like there's definitely some things you can add, right? Like he's got said he's got a fast jab, he's got some good kicks, uh, he does pretty well with that karate style. But if he adds a couple tie kicks here and there, I think that could really disrupt Jacare and like give him something to respect. Um, first fan and Alvi, that's a good fight, man. Alvy's tough, you know. He's he's always game, and if you know, as long as the ref doesn't jump in, if he like, because he'll get hit sometimes. But if he's buckled, he's not done. So Sam kind of lately hasn't pressed forward as much, but he's fighting bigger guys. But I'm thinking for this one, I know he was uh, saying he was really needing a fight, so I think he's going to come forward and. He always does. He's going to bite on his mouth guard, you know, grinning all goofy like he does. He's going to swing a big hook, swing a big left. If Span tries to take him down, he's going to sprawl like his life depends on it, and it's going to be, you know, someone's probably going to go to sleep. Yeah, Span is the biggest favorite on the card. You know, people would say that Alvy has a puncher's chance. That's kind of what Alvy always has, and it's a damn good chance because he hits hard. Yeah, the guy, you know, I fought the guy twice. He, it, you know, luckily I never got, well, He's hit me before, but I never got put to sleep. But, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely got a chance in any fight. That's the thing is, you know, and that's a situation where if you're that heavily of a favorite and you're probably thinking, oh, I can do this and that and I'll be good. Man, that's when people come out, especially Alvy right now. He's hungry. He needs the, those two checks. He, he's going to come out looking for that chin. And if he touches Ryan Spann, it's not like we haven't seen Ryan Spann lose. So it's, uh, it's going to be a, a good fight. Yeah, when you – 
how, how long have you known Al before? Because you guys are from around the same area, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, I've known him for a while. I mean, he lives in California now, but, uh, man, I, I'm trying to think. I probably knew him in, like, 2000, between 2008 2010 for sure. Uh, and then we fought in a tournament. The tournament we fought in, because I knew him before that, but we fought in a tournament, and I won one in 2010, and then we fought again, and I lost one um, some years down. That was like two, 2014, 2015, I want to say, maybe a little earlier. But, yeah, we uh, I beat him by guillotine in a five-round fight, and that was, man, that was one of the hardest fights of my life. It was like the last minute of the last round, uh, so like the 24th minute, and I was like, this is – this is stupid. I don't know why anyone does five round fights. And then the second one I uh, uh, dropped, uh, I forget if it was a split decision or if it was just 29-28. But, yeah, the second one was a decision. And that was, I think, right before he got an ultimate fighter. Or, or no, sorry, that was right before he went to the MFC, I believe, and then went to the ultimate fighter. In lovely uh, Western Canada, the MFC. Yeah, yeah, he was the man up there for a little bit. He had, uh, he had some good fights. Him and Elvis Mutopchik, those were like the two guys, another UFC alum, Elvis. Um, what else do we got mm -hmm. on this card? I mean, you've got one that you've got a pretty strong vested interest in, which is uh, Anthony Pettis against Cowboy Cerrone. You've been training with Anthony leading up to this fight, uh, or at least maybe you have. I don't know. I, I have I not been training <laughs> at all, Aaron. Yeah, so, of course, that's, that's my guy. That's my teammate. I've known Anthony, you know, <sighs> Not too long after I started fighting, you know, we I'd cross trained there even when I was at another place, and then you know I've, I've obviously been at Rufus Sport since uh, before my UFC tenure, so I've been there for well, probably between six or eight years now, I forget. But uh, yeah, I mean, looking good, looking tough, uh, from what I hear, and you know, last time Anthony had Cowboy's number, but uh, I always feel like the second time around it always gets a little bit harder, you know what I mean, and. Luckily for us, it's not like Anthony's taking it for granted. It's not going to be like Bisping Rockhold 2 where he's like, oh, I'm just going to beat this guy and it's not going to be, you know, hard or whatever. Like Anthony still knows it's a fight. He still knows Cowboy's dangerous, you know, and he, he's looking real good. He's looking uh, more and more hungry, more and more like title contention Anthony where he's like trying to work his way up to something big. So I'm really excited for that fight. And it should be just as exciting of a finish as the first one. You've got three of the, the biggest WEC icons on one night. You've got Cruz and then, of course, Pettis and Cerrone. So that's pretty cool. I mean, Cerrone fought Ben Henderson for a second time uh, and won that fight. So uh, he got his revenge on Ben. We'll see if the same thing happens with Pettis, although that, the Pettis fight was in the UFC, not WEC. So um, who knows what happens in that fight. But, you know, we heard Cerrone recently say that you know, it was Donald that shows up, showed up to fight Conor McGregor, not Cowboy. And uh, I spoke to him earlier today, and uh, he says he's gone to sports psychologist. He says he's worked so hard to figure out what it is that will allow him to tap into the fighter's mentality on fight night. And some days, it's just he just can't do it. Has that ever happened to you, where you, you uh, show up day of, and you're like, oh, I just, I'm just not in the mood today? Uh, for Remember, he him twice, too, and he beat him even worse the second time, so we're good on that. But, yes, that has definitely happened to me. Uh, if there's anything that I have been lacking or needed to work on the most throughout my career, it's the mental side. And I got a lot better hold of that since I've been in the UFC, but there's a couple times – well, the Hermanson fight for sure, 
I just wasn't there. I made the mistake of uh, I I feel like I blew my proverbial load uh, the on the open workouts. Like I was super hyped up and like I kind of wasted my fight energy that night. And then when I went out, I was flat. Like felt like I was stuck in the mud. So I get it. It's a it's, it's a big big thing when everyone talks about how so little of it is physical and it's more mental. That's real. I mean, if you if you think you're good. You're going to fight well, even if you're not in shape as much as somebody else. So, you know, that's why you see guys with different body types because, you know, the, the layman, they're going to look at the fight, right? And you look at somebody, um, you know, like, say, Diego Sanchez at 170. You know, he doesn't look like a CrossFitter or something, you know. But he's got cardio for days, or at least at one point he had cardio for days, right? Mentally, he's there, so it doesn't matter. And then you'll get guys that are, you know, super jacked, uh, you know, Francis Ngannou, uh, forget who his sleeper fest was with. Uh, was it Derek Lewis, I yeah, believe? Derek Lewis. Yeah. They threw like two punches and like just gassed themselves out staring at each other. So, I mean, you can do all the running, cardio, sparring you want, but if you can't flip that switch come fight night, it doesn't matter. So that's, you know, that's a very, very big thing. And a lot more guys are getting into that and, you know, I like to read books on it, talk to different people about it, because that helps me. You know, some guys see sports psychologists. It's whatever edge you can get is going to be better. But if you, you know, practice day in and day out, being that guy, it's going to be easier. And at least for this side, Anthony, throughout this camp, has practiced being that guy every day. Well, Gerald, the open workouts, you got to do the Q&A next time. It's, it's a no-brainer. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned Francis. Francis is against Jair Rosenstrike. Uh, at UFC 249, but uh, the other heavyweight fight that I, I am interested in is I, I do not see a single path to victory for Alexei Olenek against Fabricio Verdum. Olenek has 47 submissions win, submission wins, but you'd have to be crazy to think he's going to submit Fabricio Verdum. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I got a hard time uh, trying to figure out how that one would work. And again, it, just because you have certain accolades doesn't mean that you're necessarily better in an MMA fight, right? But uh, Fabricio Verdum is pretty top of the food chain when it comes to combat sports and grappling in general. And Olenek's really good. I mean, I can't think of another person, especially a heavyweight, that I've seen pull off a Ezekiel choke in a fight. Like, that's just nuts. But uh, uh, Fabricio Verdum is not like the other guys he's fought to this point. He's not going to put himself in a dumb position. And he's also got good stand-up. So as long as Fabricio's been training, he should be okay. And especially because Olenek likes to get beat up a little bit before he finds his spot, I don't know it's going to work out for him that well. Yeah, if, if, he, uh, if he beats uh, Fabrizio Verdum with an Ezekiel choke, I'll drink like an entire cup of mustard next time I talk. <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't think that's going to happen. I'll hold you to that. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Gerald. So let's wrap this up. Uh, I appreciate your time. Looking forward to the next time you're in there, which may be sooner rather than later, as you alluded to earlier. Who knows? Uh, well, I guess you do, but I don't. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, man. Good talking to you. I'm now joined by the Gerald main Mearshart event and from of Gerald UFC Mearshart, 249, Delta Tony Ferguson. Tony, Time to earn the California. interim championship for a second time. The only hey, UFC fighter to ready, ever do man. it if he's able to win against Justin Gaethje. He'll also hold the record for the most consecutive wins in the lightweight division. You know, I keep saying this fight with Justin Gaethje is like if you ask for a Sega Genesis for Christmas. The highlight himself. The Sega Genesis is Tony Khabib. You end up getting a Super Nintendo and you get the gift that you didn't even know you wanted. Yourself and Justin Gaethje. It's one heck of a fight that I think a lot of people are overlooking this unique circumstance and forgetting just how entertaining this is going to be.
Yeah, absolutely, dude. Justin Gaethje's not a button masher like Khabib. He's going to go in there and actually have some technique. He's going to have some conditioning. He's training at a mile high over in Denver. And uh, he's going to come in guns and blazes, man. But we've been preparing for this since, what, November, December? What, what, like, almost like five to six months we've been waiting for this dude. But uh, nothing changed with the name on the card. We never worry about what our opponents are going to do. We go in there and do our damage, our style. And uh, I'm a defensive back, and Justin Gaethje's running the ball. He's a halfback, fullback, whatever you want to call him, or quarterback. I'm going to go and I'm going to sack this dude. Well, your, your de- defensive line has let you down, but I know that you'll get after it. Uh, in terms of this situation, do you feel like you have a bit of a leg up over the different contenders and competitors because of uh, your, you being in California and, and having uh, a whole facility to yourself that you've built over these years? I'm going to be real. Even before that, it's my athletic abilities to be able to compete at a high level. We won state in football. I was a defensive back, so I'll refer back to that. I go in there, and I'm always seeking and destroying. I'm making sure that I get that ball, and I score points. Baseball is the exact same way, and in wrestling, the state champion baseball, too, or in football and wrestling. We were runners-up in baseball. It doesn't matter what goes on in the world or what's going on. As an athlete, I stay focused on what I need to do. Building my academy, I did it in Big Bear twice. I did it in my house. I did it in my academy and my over there, and I and I have everything I need. I don't over embellish any of the items that I have in there, and it's all non plug in type of stuff. That means you have to use your brain. You got to be able to, to go in there and put forth the work because there's not a machine that's going to do that for you. I made it that way on purpose. So when you go in there, you like not even just using your brain. You have to have that motivation factor. You know what I did is I've taken every drill and everything that I could possibly take from. Any coach I've ever learned from that I can possibly remember, not even put it down on paper, but then run through the motions. When you run through the motions, you run through plays, and you're remembering all your shit and you're, you're, you're getting down to it, and you're going to get nitty and gritty. UFC 249, I'm going to be real. I don't know how ready Justin Gates is, but i got to count on him being ready. Like we're going to be at a, a state championship or a national title or even a Super Bowl. Or, this is the pinnacle, man. No sports are going on. We're holding it down. You've exposed some uh, of those playbooks, uh, I guess the plays in the playbook with the, uh, the spinning uh, barbells, with uh, the kicking poles, jumping from tire to tire. You've, you've invented a lot of exercise that nobody else has done. Do you think that, that ingenuity is something that sets you apart from other fighters? I think at the time when I was doing that, it was supposed to be fun. Um, you guys got to remember that. This is the thing. You guys think I do that shit all the time. Absolutely not. I haven't done any group exercises for a very long time. I was healing. I was going through a very traumatic series of events in my life when I had my knee and my belt stripped. I had management that didn't give a about me. I wasn't making any sponsor money. I wasn't doing shit, man. So I had to find something to make myself feel better. And I was putting myself out there. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do some exercises that are going to be kind of cool. I've seen somebody do it maybe uh, with the spinning barbells. It was actually a really good training conditioning coach. His name is the Hulk out of uh, was it Primal Fitness a long time ago. And I ended up using that one, and I was like, wow, this is really good. So I'm not the only one that does these things. And as far as kicking poles and everything, that's been around for a very long time, man. I just put it out there because it was it's on Instagram. It's on the line, right? I can put it on the line and see if people want to like it. And uh, – I got a good reaction off of it. And people want to do the Tony challenge and everything. I don't really do that kind of <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't do that all the time. What I do is I put in 12-hour days. I'm, I'm 
I can't even explain. I don't even tell you half of the things that I do. It's real work. It's real work. It's sparring without shin pads. It's sparring with bare knuckles. It's, that's the kind of shit that nobody sees. You can ask anybody that's ever seen me train. It's just like, holy shit. It's only because I had my pops, right? Anytime that we ever had to get neat, like, neat, like uh, nitty and gritty and to get a job done, he could always count on me to be there. And that's what I count on myself. I was like, I got to count on myself like my pops was there. And uh, he stepped in the picture too. And he, 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 he taught me, man, how to be a man. So for anything, it's for, for me to show like everybody else, like exactly how I was raised. I'm going to go in there and do my best. Win or lose, I'm going to walk away like a man and a champ. With the intentions of always winning, yes, that's how it is in there. It's the competition. I want to make sure that we get done. We've been preparing for five or six months. And we're going to go in there, we're going to do this thing over in Florida. Daichi's last three fights have all been uh, first-round finishes. Before that, he was getting into these wars. He was going all-out blitz, and uh, he, was, he was basically just trying to outwill his opponent. Which Gaethje would you prefer to fight? The, the one that likes to go into deeper rounds, that likes to go back and forth, take damage to give damage, or, or the one that's been a little bit more methodical lately? Uh, I want to be real. I don't see any difference with Gaethje. He's, he's, he's a strong opponent, man. He's a very strong-willed opponent. Uh, I really don't have anything bad to say about the dude. I mean, being, like I said, he's a USA wrestler. He's got a great camp over there. I got nothing but respect for them, man. And uh, he's a tough-nosed opponent, man. But he's he, he's got a he's got a tough fight ahead of him, man. I'm gonna be real, and uh, I think we both prepared for this. We both signed on the dotted line, and we're making sure that the people are gonna get what they want. And so they need to buy this pay per view, UFC 249. If you win this, it'll be your 13th straight win, which I think is an all-time record at lightweight, which is again the the division of killers uh, in mixed martial arts. Do you feel though, without getting the undisputed title, because it keeps eluding you for all of these weird reasons, that it's gonna you affect your if. legacy? You said you, you, you said if. You said if. That's the first problem right there. It's not if, it's when. All right, so thank it's you for the correction. <laughs> yeah, it's not securing any... Yeah, sorry, my bad, but I'm going to be real. It's not securing any legacy. It's not... I don't care about that. The only thing I care about is putting food on the table and making sure that my family's got a roof over their heads. Making sure I can take care of those that really can't take care of themselves. I got a lot of people counting on me. When I made weight on the 18th, there was zero sports going on. There was zero sports going on. Nothing was going on. Nobody had any kind of anything going on. So I was like, you know what? I took it upon myself. Say, you know what, Tony? You need to do. Yeah, I'm not talking to myself in third person, but either like you got to make weight. Why? Because you signed up for it. Nobody else is doing it in the world. People want to copy your work. Else, they want to copy your sayings and do all this kind of stuff. This is the one thing that nobody's going to copy and I was right and that gave me experience points bro is that the main reason you did it just because it helped in terms of your mental fitness for this fight you you signed a contract to do it on that particular day you did it and you know that nobody else who had signed the contract to compete on that day would do that you feel like that gives you a mental edge over the other competitors in the UFC I would say that gives me a mental edge over any athlete out there I'm not better than anybody. I want to be real. But on that one day, I was. On that one day, the only thing that mattered was making sure that I could beat that scale. That I could do that. That it was my progress to make sure that I could be on that thing and not be two tenths over. Because if I was even two tenths over, I was going to go and run that off. 
I don't know how many other athletes would be able to do that. And I guarantee, and I'm going to be real, I bet you a whole bunch of other athletes would do that. I have to say that. We're made out of something, right? Dan Gable has this quote. He's like, we made that, that, that hard-to-find alloy called guts. That's what I carry with me inside the cage, man. I'll, I'll continue to do that every day. And, uh, and finally, Tony, in terms, of, uh, in terms of Justin Gaethje, he's obviously a very, very tough opponent, as you've mentioned, uh, one of the toughest in the UFC. Is the reason why you took this fight, even though a win is going to basically put you back to where you were a month ago, uh, next in line to fight Khabib for the undisputed title, because of what you just mentioned, putting food on the table, making sure that those who you're taking care of are taken care of? I'm going to be real. When I had the talks with the UFC brats, I told them, I was like, I'm very proud of them for trying to keep this sport going and, and for trying to keep sports going. And uh, our management, I got to be really thankful for them for doing, 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 doing their diligence, man, and making sure that it happened. Because without these these people in our lives being able to try to make this, I mean, we wouldn't have this sport. We wouldn't. Like, we'd be just sitting here just like everybody else twiddling their thumbs trying to crush quarantine. But instead, what we have is we have an event coming up, and we're trying to do something with it. You've had boards, and you've had sports going on during the whole entire time. I used this reference earlier. If I didn't make weight, would we still have sports going on? If I didn't go and try to make weight, right, for the UFC, would they give us, like, an opportunity to try to, like, do this Who knows? Who knows? Only thing that I know is I'm gonna make weight again. Feel great. My team is closer than we've ever been. I'm gonna be real. It's so awesome. It's such a nice feeling. It's so it's so different than anything because what I have built with help from a lot of people is amazing, especially during this time. And uh, I, like I said, I've been living the same kind of life, going to and from work. Making sure that I'm an athlete and I, I go eat, sleep, and shave, and go back to the drawing board, and I make sure this happens. And I come out with that W. And I put in about five to six months worth of work for this, for this, for this fight. And it doesn't matter who you put in front of me. It's a tournament, like in the Ultimate Fighter, like I've ever told everybody. I said, you gotta be, you gotta beat everybody in order to beat them, or to be the champion. And uh, I'm gonna be real, man. To be off the radar, he doesn't want me in his picture. He's gonna retire. Connor, same. I don't give a about those dudes. I'm going to be real. Those guys are a bunch of dudes. The only man that ever wanted to fight and sign up on the dotted line didn't complain about was Dustin Gaethje. And we're going to go in there and we're going to give the fans a hell of a fight. All right, Tony. And last thing for me, obviously headlining a card means something to every fighter out there. Uh, it means you're at the absolute top. But you're also headlining a return to normalcy. On Saturday nights, there's nothing more I would like to do than to watch a UFC event. And I'm sure there are a lot of people at home during this quarantine that are excited about a return to normalcy, a little bit of a semblance of normalcy. Does that mean a little bit more to you that you're going to be the person that they're watching on that Saturday night, that they're signing up to watch Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje? I think they're excited to watch the whole entire card. I'm going to be real. People would be stupid just to watch, like, the main card. I, I, I'm, I'm like, man, how come we can't fight first the main event, right? We can break the ice, and we can go out there and make sure that, you know, we set the pace for everybody. I'm looking at the very, like, the whole entire card. I mean, you even got Jeremy Stevens on the card. I mean, you got Dominic Cruz, Henry Cejudo, as far as the main event. And then you got the, the undercard, man. You got a whole bunch of names that are great. We're doing what we got to do because that's what we signed up for. 
I mean, good times, bad times, doesn't matter, man. When we sign up for some we're going to show up for UFC fighters. That's the difference. We're elite. We go in there. We make sure this rolls, bro. We represent our countries, and we go in there. We try to do our best. Uh, I'm going to be real. UFC 249, everybody, you need to watch from the very first fight all the way to the to the main event. I would agree with that. It's an absolutely stacked card, UFC 249, May 9th in Jacksonville. Thanks for this, Tony. I really appreciate your time. Hey, don't worry. That was Tony Ferguson, and now we go from Tony Ferguson to his last opponent, the one and only cowboy, Donald Cerrone. He's at a tough stretch right now. He's He's lost several fights in a row against Ferguson, Gaethje, and Conor McGregor. And you, I mean... If you're going to lose three straight fights, there's no shame in losing to those three men. Those are the top of the top at the lightweight division. And uh, Tony, as Cowboy Cerrone, rather, is moving back to the welterweight division to take on a fellow flyweight who has migrated, or a lightweight, rather, that has migrated to the welterweight division, and that's Anthony Showtime Pettis. So two WEC alums, a former WEC title holder, and, w- and the UFC lightweight title holder in Anthony Pettis, and a former WEC title and UFC title challenger in Cowboy Cerrone, Here's Cowboy talking about his bout with Anthony Showtime Pettis as well as reflecting on what happened back in January against Conor McGregor. I'm now joined by Cowboy Donald Cerrone, who's en route to Jacksonville, Florida. You're now in uh, Mobile, Alabama, you tell me, uh, in your RV? Yeah, rolling. Excellent. Well, in terms of uh, your RV, what do you got? Let me know what uh, what's you're equipped with uh, for this particular trip. What am I what? What are you equipped with? What what kind of bells and whistles does this RV have, and who are you traveling with? Uh, I got Big John Wood, second coach, uh, Jafari, my wrestling coach, and uh, my buddy Rodrigo, who's a photographer. He's with us. The four of us are making our way to Florida. I don't know what bells and whistles this bad has, but let me do 85, 10 wide open down the freeway, so I'm all right with it. All right, well, as long as uh, you're able to get there uh, safe and sound, I know that you ha- had the RV uh, tuned up before you headed out there. So you mentioned John Wood from Syndicate MMA uh, in Las Vegas. He's come down to the ranch and helped you out with this. Uh, how did that uh, whole situation come to be? Yeah, man, I like John. He's a good dude. You know, the opportunity came for him to come on down and hold some pads, and we, it all worked out. So what's changed in terms of preparation with John Wood there? Uh, what, what what kind of different looks are you getting? Not better looks. I don't. I don't know. I like I like his mindset, the drive towards the sport. So it's good to good to change it up a little bit and see what's different. You had a talk with Alberto Komodo recently, uh, and you talked about the previous fight and, and owning it, saying uh, you weren't really yourself in the locker room beforehand, and even two days uh, leading up to the event, uh, you weren't yourself. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had that that happen to you before a fight, and you've, you've come out on top? Uh, man, not really. It's like it's hard. That's a hard fight to battle with yourself, you know, like... Uh, no, I haven't. The wrong guy shows up. Usually, it's a pretty day. And are there any tools that you have to deal with that, or is it just one of those things where it happens and there's nothing really that can be done? You just kind of have Man, to try I've to block it. Tried, tried my entire career to figure out what I can do. Hired sports psychiatrists, worked things in the locker room, tried to recreate things at home. We're, we're trying, man. We're still actively trying to figure it out. Because it's not cool, it sucks, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you, you've you've spoken to sports psychiatrists about this, sports psychologists, and they haven't really been able to to figure it out. That's that's very interesting. Like, what? How many times have you gone to different sports psychologists over the years to try to deal with this? Oh uh, man, right, three or four separate guys I've worked with and tried to figure it out. It's just tough, man. It's all it's all a mental thing, you know. All it comes down to. No one to blame but me. We appreciate you being so open about it because a lot of people don't really talk about. I mean, it's basically been yourself and George St. Pierre that have really uh, encapsulated what what it's like before a fight, when, when you're in the arena, when you're you're ready to go out there, and and how your mindset can just change uh, by the by the second, really. Insane, man. You talk about all month, all week, twelve weeks, eight weeks, six weeks leading up to the fight. You're like a savage killer. Your mind's right, or it's not. Sometimes those days aren't good as you want to be either you know what I mean sometimes you're not into it sometimes you're not there but sometimes you are and then it's weird you walk in that arena and you like camera action sometimes you're just not there it's weird it's like it's like you're trying to get the car out of first gear and it's just grinding in second you can't find the gear man I don't know I don't know else how to explain it just can't get it going are there things that trigger that don't know man you're talking the wrong guy talking to the right guy because I explained to you what happens but I don't know what, what causes it what does it what doesn't do it I have no idea man you find yourself in a bit of a similar situation against Anthony Pettis uh, back in the WEC days you faced Ben Henderson uh, lost the first time came back and won the rematch I know that your first battle with uh, Anthony Pettis wasn't in the WEC but uh, is it is it better for you to have kind of shorter notice to go into this kind of a fight uh, it's a rematch you've been comfortable you've been in there with Anthony you and him are, are, are friends uh, outside of the cage is this a situation that is conducive to to you putting on your best performance? Oh yeah, for sure. For me, there's no time to think about it, nothing to dwell on it. You go in there and fight. Yeah, this is this has got Cowboys name all over, it, baby. It's kind of a cool situation because you've got yourself and Pettis, then you've got Dominic Cruz in the co-main event. There aren't that many WEC alumni left in the UFC, so that's it's kind of like a, a coming together of uh, WEC talent. I want to I want to say we might be it. Right? Does that sound right? Uh, well, you got, you got Benavidez is still going. Um, okay, right. I can't think of too many others. I think there are six or seven of them, but those are the ones that come to mind immediately. There's Uriah, but I don't know if he's done done or not. And then Aldo. Yeah, Aldo. Yeah, Aldo. And then Up oh, Cub, right? Other, I mean, other. Yeah, but still, still, there's not that many. See, it's almost like a renaissance period for you guys. Hell yeah. Um, in the main event, you got Gaethje, you got Ferguson. You've fought both of these guys, um, and you've been in there with them. What do you think it's going to be like when the two of them get in there together? Is that, in terms of the, the style <laughs> contrast, it's like how, how do you see this one going? Oh, man, uh, you know, I think uh, Gaethje definitely has the power to put Ferguson away, but does Gaethje have the cardio to put up with the weirdness of Ferguson? So we'll see. You know, he's got a lot of pressure. Which one of those guys was more nerve-wracking to go up against? Oh, neither one. I didn't have nerves going into either one of those. I wasn't creating nerves. Gaethje's my bud. I like Ferguson, so. I'd ask you which one was uh, harder to prepare for, but it seems like you prepare for a cowboy, not for your opponent. Is that, is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah. That's the goddamn truth. 
Yeah, I remember interviewing you before you fought Darren Till, and uh, you said you hadn't heard of the guy and you hadn't watched any tape on him. Do you you don't go back and yeah. watch your first fight with Pettis or anything along those lines? Do you? Hell no, I watched no tape. Have you ever gone back and watched one of your fights after it's happened? No, not really. Don't care. And we're up here in Canada. The one thing that uh, you're not going to have for this particular uh, bout, at least on location, is uh, Shara Vijant, your, your strength and conditioning coach from uh, Edmonton. Um, have you been able to yeah. chat with her and have her help you out during this camp uh, remotely? Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. She's, she's a big support all the way. But uh, she's bummed. Bummed she couldn't make it out. But uh, next one we'll have her out here and be all right. So for the next one, uh, you mentioned you want to fight more than once uh, in the next couple of weeks. Dana White said he's, he's kind of against that, but you want to stay busy? You're still looking to be same old cowboy? Of course, like always. Yeah, I did the math, and since Dominic Cruz last fought, I know he's had a lot of injuries, you fought 12 times, which is pretty remarkable. <laughs> and I'm looking to fight three times this week, so let's make it all happen. All right, Kev, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, best of luck against Anthony Pettis on Saturday. I appreciate your time. That was Donald Cowboy Cerrone, and now we go from Cowboy Cerrone to a good friend of his who he came up with in Denver in the uh, MMA scene many, many years ago, and that's the karate hottie Michelle Waterson, who has also migrated to New Mexico just like Cowboy Cerrone. They're both out in Mexico now. Cerrone, a former uh, training partner of Waterson's, or at least teammate of Waterson's at Team Jackson Wink, Cerrone has severed ties with Jackson Wink since then. However, the karate hottie Michelle Waterson still training at Jackson Wink as well as at her home gym with her husband, Josh Gomez, for this particular bout against Carla Esparza. Here she is joining me on the TSN MMA show. And making sure that all our medicals are in line. It's kind of kind of crazy. Usually we bring out four um, cornermen, and even if we only get three, we bring out four so I can roll with, uh, with them. And with all the restrictions and stuff, they're only allowing us Three, like strict three, mm-hmm. and so we, we got to figure that out. That's it. Not a big deal. How many corners are you allowed on fight night? Three. Three. Okay. Is that what you were saying just now? Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought you were talking about training partners at the gym, like with the the, uh, the oh. New Mexico regulations. Oh no, you know, at the gym is closed down, so um, so we've been able to get in there late at night just with me and the coaches and kind of move around and utilize the cage, but. I have a, a home gym here um, in my backyard that we've been doing the majority of our training, so that's that's where it's all been going down. Cool, that's good. Cool. All right, uh, we'll get started. Thanks for this, Michelle. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Of course. <laughs> I'm just going to adjust your camera here, Michelle. Camera here, Michelle. We'll get started. Get started. All right, perfect. All right, perfect. We'll do that. I'm now joined by the karate hottie, Michelle Watterson, who has a big fight ahead of her next weekend against uh, Carla Esparza, the former UFC women's strawweight champion. How's everything going, Michelle? How's, uh, how's everything keeping in quarantine? Oh, it's amazing. You know, we're, we're doing what we can with what we have. And, you know, um, thankfully, we, we, we have quite a bit. We, you know, it was one of my dreams to always have a home gym. And it, it had nothing to do with being prepared for an epidemic or anything like that. But it definitely came in handy. Um, the home gym has been basically, you know, the hot spot for, for my training. We have everything there at the home gym that we need for the camp. Um, so yeah, we've just been training here at home and and taking care of what we can. So is your husband, Josh, your main training partner for the most part? 
Yeah, for the most part. And then Coach Wink will come in, um, hold mitts for me, and then my uh, Professor Barata will come in, and, and we do privates with um, with Professor Barata for the grappling and the, the jiu-jitsu. And then my, my Coach Izzy you know, um, came drove down from Chicago to work with me, um, he, and he's wrestling coach. So, you know, especially up against Carla Sparza, we, we had to make sure that we, we got some good training there. So we got all our bases covered. So they're all coming to you for the most part to your gym. Yeah, I'm a little bit spoiled in that in that sense. Yeah, so usually you're going over there, and this time they're all coming to you. So that must feel pretty cool. Uh, definitely a unique set of circumstances. So f- what's the biggest change for you in terms of a training camp? What do you feel like? What do you feel like is lacking uh, in this training camp that you would normally get? You know, I think it's just what you said. The biggest difference is they're all coming to me, and I'm not used to that. You know, I'm I'm used to. To, to go into the gym and to, to getting in that work, it's that it's the atmosphere of all your teammates and the, the sound of everybody working together, um, the smell of a you know the the the, the atmosphere of a, of a huge gym when there's you know 30 40 people just grinding it out and, and getting it that's that's what we're missing, um, but truthfully I, I think it's kind of um, I guess I, I guess it's best the best scenario anyways to be training solo because it's going to be quite quiet when we're when we're in the cage this time around without a crowd so you know in that sense it's preparing me for for a little bit more quiet a uh, quiet crowd well when you have all those bodies around you you can often get motivated when you see other people working hard how do you i guess flip that switch when you're on your own I think as a fighter, you have to be self-motivated, anyways, and this has just challenged me to 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 amplify that and and to be even more self-motivated. I think that it's easier to 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 be motivated, like you said, when you have somebody challenging you right next to you, pushing it a little harder. The the challenge comes when when it's just you by yourself in the shadows. Can you push it? Do you push it when nobody's watching? And I. I I tend to thrive off of challenges. That's why I fight to begin with is because it challenges who I am as a person. And this is just one of those, uh, another, another challenge that, that I look forward to overcoming. How's home life going for you? I know that uh, your mother often helps out with your daughter, Araya. I'm not sure if she's uh, coming by with all the social distancing, uh, you know, that that's currently in place. How's that changed as well? My mom, my mom, lives in Denver. She came down to help me with Araya's with Araya um before any of the quarantine even happened. And then the quarantine happened and she's 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 here. She's here with us. She's stuck with us. And um you know, she is older and she she does have like prior complications and so that is probably our biggest concern is keeping her safe. So she stays home. We go out and do all the grocery shopping and we make sure that we, we try to keep some distance and give her um, our love in other ways. But, you know, she's she's staying healthy. And I, I think it's actually better that she's here with us rather than in Denver because we can go out and, and make the errands and, and, and go to the grocery store and get the things that she needs. But she was in Denver by herself. She would have to do all of that on her own, which would put her um, in more danger. So I'm, I'm happy she's down here with us. With Carla Esparza, your opponent on, uh, on May 9th, UFC 249, wrestling is obviously a big deal with her. She's a top three wrestler in the strawweight division, in my opinion, at least. Uh, you said that Izzy came down from Chicago. How much of a, of a focal point has that been for this particular camp? 
you know, we focus on it because obviously that is her strength, but it's it's one of my strengths as well. I was able to, to take Joanna down, you know, in, in my last fight up against her and in those five rounds a couple of times, you know. So I'm not worried about it too much in the sense where I'm solely being defensive. Um, and I think the best way to, to shut down a wrestler's um, attacks is, is by attacking them. And, and we saw that um, – we saw that play out when she fought Tatiana Suarez. So I'm, I'm not worried in that sense, but definitely prepared for sure. You mentioned Joanna. She's coming off one of the greatest fights in UFC history, herself and Zhang Veili. What was your reaction when you watched that fight? I, you know, I tuned in as a student because I wanted to, to um, you know, scout these ladies and see how they fared against each other. And I, I turned into a fan. I, I turned into a fan watching that fight because it was just so entertaining back and forth. And um, in my opinion, you know, there is no loser in that fight. Those ladies put it on and laid it on a line. And like you said, it's going to go down in history as one of the best fights in UFC. When you were watching that fight, did you ever think, what would I do if I was in a situation like this, a five-round all-out war like that? Yeah, obviously, especially because, you know, that's where my mind still goes now. E even now, after fighting Ioana, I know that's where I belong, you know. So, for sure, it just it, it, it just gives me confidence, honestly, to know that that's where I belong. Would you want to be in a fight like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Why is that? What, what, what would make you, um, I guess, happy to engage in a fight that, that's like that rather than something that's more technical that, I guess, results in a little bit less damage? I think sometimes what happens is when push comes to shove and you guys are both technically sound and and are evenly matched technically, it, it turns out to be who has the most heart. And I, I think that um, in in that case, it's it, it is just a test of, of your will. And I think that it's great to put yourself through those type of challenges at least once or twice in your life. Now, I know that since you're not at the gym, uh, this probably wouldn't likely be a distraction for you in your camp, but uh, John Jones getting into some hot water once again. A lot of people are saying that he needs some help. Would you agree with that? You know, um, John has always been such a, a positive light in my life, and he's always, you know, reached out when I needed help and, and a positive, you know, a positive light in the gym. And so um, whatever what, what is going on in his personal life, you know, is – in, in my opinion, none of my business and nobody else's business. I think that, you know, there are probably some things that he's, he's working out and, and he's, he's, he's doing so. That's what he's doing. He's working it out. And, um, I think that sometimes when you're, when you're put in the spotlight, there's a, there's a lot of eyes on you and that can be stressful in itself. So, um, I, I will always be in John's corner and, and, and supportive of what he's doing. Cause I know, I know the things that he does, um, you know, behind the scenes that no, that other people don't see. Did you send him any sort of message of support? Yeah, absolutely. We're always here for him. You know, we're family. So with UFC 249, we've got a great main and great co-main event as well. I mean, the funny thing about it is, like, these are two fights you never thought would have happened. Like, three weeks ago, four, four weeks ago, Ferguson versus Gaethje was on nobody's radar. And then Dominic Cruz coming back and fighting for a title was also on nobody's radar. What do you think of these two main events? I feel like people are overlooking them because of this whole coronavirus scare and just how unique uh, these, these two matchups are. Do you have predictions for either of them? I think it's funny that people are overlooking a lot of things because of coronavirus. You know, um, the world keeps spinning and we have to continue to move forward. And I think it's it's, it's an amazing card and um, it's going to go down in history as, 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 as one of the best. 
what do you think of the card happening under these circumstances? I think that you know people do need an escape. I mean, everybody is waiting for some normalcy, and having the UFC on a Saturday night, even though there's not going to be a crowd, does bring back some semblance of normalcy. Uh, is that why you were happy to participate in this particular event? I'm happy to participate because I don't know what the future holds. I don't know the landscape of the future, and who knows, you know, if we'll even be able to fight in the future. Um, it, the landscape's changing every day, and I'm just grateful that Dana is, you know, giving us a platform to to, to provide for our family. I don't. I, my family didn't get to. Uh, we didn't receive any stimulus because of our, the situation that we're in, and we're not receiving any unemployment because of the situation that we're in. And so, um, I'm grateful that I can still earn a living fighting, and and that's why I do it. I, I have I have bills to pay, you know. <laughs> um, plus, I think that you know fighters in general are symbolic to the human spirit in a sense that. Um, you know, w when faced with adversity, when faced with challenges, um, it is scary. It's scary for the door to close behind you and to step in there and know that this person across the cage from you is trying to take your head off. But it takes cor courage to face your fears and to overcome them. And I think that, you know, by putting the fight on, we can we can kind of spread a little bit of hope across the world and, and, and give people courage to, 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 to think for themselves, to to take care of themselves and to take care of their families and, and be safe at, at the same time. Well, that's a great message to end this on. I appreciate it, Michelle, and uh, best of luck to you against Carlos Garza on May 9th. Thank you. That was the karate hottie Michelle Waterson who takes on Carla Esparza in her first bout since taking on the former strawweight queen, Joanna Janjacek. And uh, she had a good account for herself against Janjacek. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how she does against another former champion in Carla Esparza this weekend. This is a, a really stacked card. Uh, I cannot wait to watch this particular card. Uh, we've had lots of coverage on TSN, tsn.ca slash UFC. If you want to check it all out, please do. Uh, I will be doing my three rounds preview tomorrow for TSN as well as post-fight recaps with the great Robin Black and the perhaps even greater Darren Decision, depending on what your flavor is. If you're into MMA, you probably think higher of Robin Black, but if you're into Canadian broadcasting, few names as iconic as the great Darren Decision. So I'm excited to recap the event with both of those fine individuals tomorrow night. Uh, it's been a fantastic fight week. If you're looking for some more detailed breakdowns, you can check out last week's show where I, I went uh, almost matchup by matchup talking about the particular ma particular bouts. And uh, hopefully I'll be joined by Dan Tom, who uh, typically joins me on my Periscope right before the UFC events. Uh, we break them down, talk about the matchups, and I always enjoy speaking with Dan Tom. So hopefully that'll be available tomorrow. Uh, next week's show, we'll have Anthony Smith joining us. Looking forward to speaking with Anthony as he headlines Wednesday's event. That's uh, UFC Fight Night in Jacksonville. UFC Fight Night Smith versus Teixeira, taking on former title challenger Glover Teixeira, two of the good guys in the sport. It'll be a thrill to watch those guys try to make up some more ground in the light heavyweight division and perhaps try to earn another shot at John Jones, should he be the champion the next time that they get a shot. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh... Two fight cards next week, one Wednesday, one Saturday, and then the following Saturday. So we have four cards in two weeks. It's a What a time to be alive if you're an MMA fan right now. What a time to be alive. Uh, obviously, the coronavirus has gotten everybody a little bit down. You know, we're all at home, social distancing, not getting to see all of the members of our family, uh, at least extended families. Uh, you know, a little bummed out by that, of course. 
So it's nice to have something to look forward to on a Saturday night, and that would be uh, UFC 249. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week to recap UFC 249 and talk about both of the upcoming UFC Fight Nights, UFC Fight Night Smith versus Teixeira, and UFC Fight Night Harris versus Overeem. Thanks for tuning in.